Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Why don't we talk some Laker basketball? Let me start with Russell Westbrook. Russell Westbrook's time as a Laker has gone badly. I mean, terribly. So terribly, it now has its own soundtrack. Like, it's gone so horribly that the Sacramento Kings DJ is clowning him with tracks like this. You're as cold as ice. You're willing to sacrifice our love. It's going to be a whole hell of a lot of foreigner coming up, I think. And the only one happy about that is Rit. Game on. Game on. Here comes some foreigner. Russell Westbrook sucks as a Laker. That's not a hot take. That's not a rush to judgment. That's just a fact. The Lakers have played 42 games this season. They're past the halfway point. They are 21 and 21 on the year. A perfect 500. And Russ is a perfect disaster. A total failure. Now, I know he's a slow starter. I know he's coming to a new team. I know all the excuses, but we are more than halfway through the season, and he is still awful. Now, I know it was also not a straight swap of Alex Caruso for Russ, but I guarantee if L.A. got an offer to trade Russ for A.C. Fresh, they would do that in a second right now. They would run all the way to Chicago on broken glass to make that happen because the fact is Russ simply has not delivered. He was brought in to help the Lakers when LeBron or AD are out. And he's done exactly none of that. He was supposed to be the guy to take the pressure off LeBron, and somehow he's actually putting even more pressure on LeBron. AD is out, so LeBron's out here playing the five and playing more minutes than he has in the past. He's playing three and a half more minutes per game this season than he did last season, and now he's 37. And he's still doing it at a pretty high level. The Lakers' problems really aren't on LeBron. They're on the guy who was brought in to ease the problems. LeBron somehow has stepped up while Russ has manned it down. Yes, there are other problems for the Lakers. Their defense is terrible. They're horrible at finishing quarters. But even an average Russ could erase a lot of those problems, and he's not. Now, I'm not going to say it's all on Russ. I'm not going to say it's all on Russ. But it's all on Russ. He's been an absolute turnover factory. And when he's not coughing it up at an incredible pace, he's missing shots at an incredible pace. The Lakers lost by eight last night to a Kings team that's already fired their coach, is 10 games under 500, and went into last night with a five-game losing streak. And it's the second time this year they've lost to Sacramento. And now we've reached a point in the season where the opposing arena music operator is clowning you. That phase of this disaster. Because last night in Sacramento, the Kings reached back into the archives and the catalog and they grabbed a foreigner record. In fact, all of the foreigner records. And they busted the entire catalog on Russ's head. They were bumping that during pregame intros for Russ. I mean, absolutely negative credit for originality. Foreigner smack. 70s rock smack. 
I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not here to defend Russ. He deserves it. But come on, man. Cold as ice? That's the best you have. That's all you got. Cold as ice. What, Double Vision didn't want any of that? Who's running the music up in here? Parody Larry? And of course, they managed to squeeze in some Ice Ice Baby. And as you might imagine, Russ rolled with it and laughed it all off like he does everything, right? That's funny. I hope they played that the last 14 years, too. (laughs) It's funny they play it now. That's cute. Um, How about that, Russ? Quote, that's funny. I hope they played that the last 14 years, too. That's funny. They play it now. That's cute. End of quote. Hey, Russ, the hell do the last 14 years have to do with anything at all? You don't get credit for the last 14 years. The NBA is about right here, right now, right this second. And they brought you in to win a ring this season, not to win a ring 14 years ago. Nobody gives a damn about what you did 14 years ago, Russ. That, that take right there is as cold as ice. I mean, you can't say, I was so good 14 years ago to explain how horrible you are right now. And that really is one of the dumber, weaker things I've heard in a long time. If you can't hit a shot right now, you are going to get clowned. That's how it is. So no, that's not cute. And if you thought that hearing some foreigner before the game was going to fire Russ up, if you thought that was going to be a mistake because they were going to poke the bear and they were going to wake this cat up and make him angry, then you were all wrong. Because no sooner than he heard that, no sooner than they busted cold as ice on his head, he went out and he missed 12 of his 14 shots. Like, you don't get to hear that music, go two for 14, and then come back and say the arena music coordinator was, quote, getting cute. Now, the good news is, he only had one turnover. The bad news is, he only made two shots. Like, my guy's out there looking like he's blindfolded. How does a guy this good... A guy this good, for this long, missed 12 of 14 shots. And the thing is, it's not just one bad night. It's not a one-off. It's not a case of, that'll happen. Actually, that's exactly what that is. That is a case of, that'll happen. On most nights now, for Russ. On Sunday, Sunday, he went 2 for 12 from the field. Last Friday, 4 of 14 from the field. He's got three straight games of less than 10 points. This is a guy who once averaged more than 31 per game for an entire season, and he hasn't scored 31 in the last three games combined. Or as he said, quote, I can't make an effing shot. I can't make a f-ing shot, boy. Finally, something we agree on. Finally, something we all agree with you on, Russ. You can't make an effing shot. So... What is this slump all about? Well, first of all, don't you bring that word around Russ. The word slump for me is not like something I like lean on. Um, I stay locked in to my craft, figure it out. I'm just in the position of trying to figure out the best way to play at the moment. As simple as that. I'll figure it out. And that's that. Like nothing I haven't happened to me before. Make adjustments and then figure out ways to be able to just make a shot. <laughs> that's it. I mean, here's the thing, Russ. If I had confidence that you could actually figure it out, that'd be great. Except I don't. Because if you could figure it out, wouldn't you have figured it out by now? We're halfway through the year. 
So credit for getting the turnovers under control, but if you're bricking 80% of your shots, that essentially is a turnover every time you elevate for a jumper. Like, he's killing his team. L.A. managed to cut a 13-point deficit down to two points with 96 seconds left. De'Aaron Fox scored. That made it a four-point lead. So who ends up taking the next shot for the Lakers? Russ, the last guy who should be taking that shot, and it's a three, and of course he missed it. Four-point lead, minute 14. This crowd in a frenzy. Russ going to try a three. Russ is empty tonight from three. 0 for 5. The miss there puts them in a position where they cannot allow another stretch. Let me tell you something. I mean, it may sound like I'm being unnecessarily harsh, but I'm not. Unnecessarily fair, perhaps. This guy's not made a 3 this year. Like, that's not hyperbole. That's not an embellishment. That's not an exaggeration. I mean, I'm straight serious. The guy has not made a single 3 in 2022. The last 3 he made was on December 29th. He is O for 2022, yet he's still out here chucking it up. Then again, it's probably a good thing he missed because you know that the DJ was locked and loaded and ready with feels like the first time. He actually did knock in that three. Russ explained what he was thinking when he jacked that one up. That was four seconds on the shot clock. Run a play. They denied it. Um, and got too many options um, at that point. Uh, they We set a screen. The guy went under. I missed it. That's it. That's it. Well, except for one thing. There weren't four seconds on the shot clock. When you started shooting, there were six. So there was plenty of time to find somebody else or do something, anything, other than look for a three yourself. Like, at that point, I'd rather have Frank Vogel take that shot in that moment because Frank would have had a better chance of making it in that moment. Kicking the ball into the stands might have been a better play than having Russ jack up a three. Like, I don't know if it's a technical thing or it's a mental thing or both, but here's my personal analysis of Russ's shot right now. It's bleeped. It's jacked up beyond all recognition. Yet he's still on the floor in the final minutes of a one-score game and looking to jack up threes. Like, that's not cute. That's not cute. That's awful. And Laker fans have got to be hot. I mean, really hot about this. So hot. Damn, they're hot-blooded. A fever of 103. I don't know, bro. Maybe you should stay home. Instead of showing up and being around people and jacking up threes with a fever of 103, maybe you ought to stay home and isolate. Right now, that rim is Russ's worst enemy. It's inside Russ's dome playing, wait for it, head games. Hey, yo, Rob Lowe, Rob Lowe, if you're listening, and I know you probably are, I know you want Laker fans to relax and just watch the situation play out, but frankly, we've been doing it, and that situation now has become urgent. Anyway. 
What about the king? Not the kings, the king. I can't imagine what must be going on in LeBron's mind. He's got to be thinking. He's got to be thinking. There's been heartache and pain. I don't know if I can face it again. Can't stop now. I've traveled so far. To change this lonely life. I mean, I want to know what love is. Way too much foreigner for a Thursday morning. Way too much foreigner. But I will gladly listen to foreigner on an infinite loop before I watch Space Jam 2 for even five seconds. As for Braun, hey, be careful what you wish for, King. You wanted Russ, you got him. And now I've got a question. What's more arrogant? Thinking that you could get Russ to assimilate and accept a role? Or thinking anybody anywhere wouldn't walk out of a theater five minutes into Space Jam 2? Oh yeah, I am pumped up to talk to you about Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify is the best. Scaling your business is a journey of endless possibility, right? Believe me, this podcast started out selling office chairs, and today we are selling business solutions, technology, and more, and we're not stopping there because success is a million milestones on a forever evolving path. You can reach customers online and across social networks with an ever-growing suite of channel integrations and apps, including Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Pinterest, and more. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. What you want to do is go to shopify.com slash roam, all lowercase, for a free 14-day trial and get full access to Shopify's entire suite of features. Grow your business with Shopify right now. Go to shopify.com slash roam. Do it now. Shopify.com slash roam. Providence head coach Ed Cooley is my guest. Ed, it's been a moment or two since you and I last spoke. It is great to have you back. How are you doing, and how is your life right now, Ed? Jim, great great to hear you, my brother. I appreciate you. You know, I always say if my life was any better, I'd be a triplet. Life is good. I got no complaints. You know, uh, we're on somewhat of a pause right now with some positive things in the program yet control what we can i'm excited to be on with you and uh thanks a lot for thinking about me ed it's great to have you on it's always good to talk to you and i always appreciate you saying yes so it's great to have you back why don't we talk about the program you beat st john's on saturday i know you're not going to make it about you so let me talk about the team first the team was coming off a tough loss at marquette i know you were eager to get back on the floor so what did they show you in the way they responded to that loss Great word. I talked about response, and I, I talked to them. I mean, it's a long season that goes fast. And I said, guys, you're going you're gonna to have games where the ball doesn't go in. I'm going to make mistakes as the coach. We're going to make mistakes as players. Control what we can. The biggest thing is how do we respond? How do we come back and win a home game? And how do we get back on the winning ledger? I think when you complain about the losing and you did this wrong and did that wrong, you don't look at the big picture what the guys have done well to get to 13 wins prior to that 14th win the other day. 
I love that. It's a long season that goes fast. That's a great line, and it's all about the response. Nate Watson, Ed had 22-11 and 11 in that win. St. John's did their very best to try to limit his impact in the first half, but then he went to work in the second half. How pleased were you with his, quote, response? Great. You know, we talked about Nate all the time. He's at the top of the scouting report. When you when you talk about Providence College, it starts with Nate Watson. He's going to get a lot of, you know, bigs and teams' attention and get their best shot. So I was I was really proud of how he responded in the huddles, how he responded at halftime when he came and talked to me about coach, give me the give me the ball, I'll deliver. Just just get me the ball and, and I'll find my way to the basket. So it was good for him for growing for growing and showing some growth. Ed Cooley is joining us, and I know there's a lot of work ahead, but right now you're fourteen and two. You're a half game out of first in the big east, and you've already had some big time wins. Again, a lot of work to be done. You're not gonna plan a victory parade just yet, but this was a team that was picked to finish seventh in the the Big East before the year. What did people outside the program not know about this group before the season started? Resilience, fight, attitude, um, uh, experience. You know, we have seven seniors, eight including Andrew Fonts, and all my buddies, all my buddies who I went to school with at Stonehill, Jeff, Steve, and Derek, they talked about, Coach, you got an old team, and I'm looking forward to it. You're going to surprise a lot of people. So i got to give my roommates from college a lot of credit because they saw something really I didn't when they looked at our age. So I think our age and our experience is really paying off. So, Ed, what about that? When you have a job or when you have a team that's older and more experienced, how much does that change your job? Well, you know what? You, you, you don't have to be the motivator, the inspirer, because it's hard to motivate and inspire and coach. So when you've got some older players that have played 100-plus games, have started 100-plus games, and have been through the coach speak, have been through the downs, you, you normally have an older group that has focused. And I keep talking to our guys about the destiny is to be one of the 68 teams selected on March 13th. Let's stay in the moment, but on March 13th, are we a worthy opponent? Did we do enough? to be considered an at-large team if we're not fortunate enough to win a regular season or a Big East championship. We are talking to Ed Cooley. All right, so, Ed, what about the Big East? You've called yourself an old-school Big East coach. You've seen a (laughs) lot in this conference now. But when you see four teams in the top 25, plus UConn just outside, Shaka Shaka Smart making noise in his first year at Marquette, I mean, how tough and nasty is the conference this season? Love it. You know, since the realignment, you know, again, I love the traditional games where we used to play, you know, um, Syracuse or Pittsburgh or Louisville, you know, even Connecticut back in. You know, this has been as competitive as it's been in a long, long time, including the, the new realignment. In any game, any team could get you. you got to be prepared, as, as evident, when we went to Marquette and got our doors blown off. It tells you the balance of the league. It tells you the coaches of the league. But I also think it's a COVID year of which many teams, maybe with the exception of that of Georgetown, Creighton, and Marquette, have much older guys in their lineup. So I, I feel bad for some of the younger kids not given the opportunity, but I feel great about the older players that are, you know, going on and doing some great things in our league. Ed Cooley, back on the program, you mentioned it as a COVID year. Last season, you played your home games at Alumni Gym without the fans. Before this season, you said that you got chills when you went to the dunk to get your COVID shot. What's it mean to be back at the dunk and playing in front of the fans once again? I mean, I think all of us coaches think our fan base is the greatest, and I'm going to reiterate that. I think ours is really good. 
you know, we've played in front of some great crowds. The student section is sold out every game we play, and they're here. Uh, I appreciate the loyal fan support. It is amazing in there. I got to get you to come to a game at the hmm. dump. You got to come back east to watch us here sit sit right on the floor and experience the energy, the passion, the love that they have for our players. Um, we're a tough out in there, man. We're a really tough out in there, and hopefully we can continue to play in there. I just get chills knowing that that's a place that I used to sneak into and now having the opportunity to call my own timeout in there with our staff. It's just a dream of mine, and I never want anybody to wake me up from that dream. Ed Cooley joining us. I appreciate the invite, and I hear it I hear it in your voice. I mean, you and I have talked in the past about your amazing journey, but for a kid who played at Central High School in Providence, what's it mean to get your 300th career win and have more than 200 of them as the head coach at Providence? You know, when you, when, when you grow up and, you know, you say, when I get older, I want to do this, or if I can do that, I am living that dream, and I want to be an example of young men and women who aspire to do things at a high level that dream big, that never thought they can do it. Take care of your opportunity, trust, you know, believe, give back, smile, say thank you. I'm just so blessed and fortunate to work for great people here at Providence College, and honestly, I get goosebumps even talking about it. I never thought in a million years I would be a head coach, let alone be the head coach at a place where I grew up. So it is gonna, truly, truly amazing. Excuse me. Sorry for jumping in, Ed. I was going to say I was so eager to follow up on that because you've said, quote, if you grew up where I grew up and I can sit here and actually talk to you, you have no idea, zero. The percentages say you're not supposed to be sitting here, end of quote. That's a really powerful statement. The percentages say that you're not supposed to be sitting here. So how do you explain the fact that you are, in fact, sitting here and you've had the success and the life and the career that you are having? Dreams do come true. You have to have some luck. You have to be given that chance. And what do you do with that chance? You know, and, and there's also some give and takes on that, as we talked about with Isaiah and Olivia and Norris. You're not there a lot, as you know, in the business that you're in. You're not there for your family all the time. And I don't think we cannot talk about that. Yet at the same time, to know that you are doing something you love and not many of us have that opportunity. You go to work and say, wow, and I also get paid for this and I have the opportunity to inspire young men. I have the chance to uplift somebody else's life and give back to something and give back to a community. You can't. You can't make a movie about this. You can't write a book about it because I'm living it. You know I'm it. living Ed, it every single day. Ed Cooley joining us. You mentioned your family, and you're right. There's so much to it. There's your family, and then there's the extended family, right? The people who supported you along the way. As an example, what kind of a role, for instance, has Al Skinner played in your career and in your life? Al is like big brother, dad, mentor. What I learned from him is be patient. Don't oversell. Recruit people that fit you as the coach, not as in the person, not just to come to school, you know, um, get some high quality kids, give kids chances. Don't be in a rush to make quick changes. Give people an opportunity to become great. It may not happen overnight. And again, that's the one thing I'll take from coaches. Just be more patient, say less and listen more. Ed Cooley is joining us, you know, knowing what you know and laying it out like that. Ed, when you when you look back, and of course, you will always look forward. That's the thing. But when you look back, what do you remember more? Is it the wins? Is it the people? Maybe the moments along the way? What comes to mind first? The people. 
the people whose lives that come later on and say, Coach, I didn't know, but thank you. The fans. Father Shanley, who's no longer the president and is now at St. John's as the president, and now Father Sicard and, you know, Bob Driscoll. I thank them for bringing me here to Providence College to do something that I dreamed about. I'm a people person, Jim. I never look at the mirror and see my face. I look at the mirror and see who I can inspire in it. And I think the more that we can do that as leaders and inspire other people and not look at yourself, the better we're going to be as a country and the better we're going to be as human beings. Help other people and you'll go a lot further than you ever thought. There it is. Ed Cooley joins me for another moment or so. So your game against Creighton on Tuesday was postponed due to COVID concerns. We certainly are not out of the woodwork there yet. So how do you go about working with your players and making sure that they are locked in and they are focused despite that fact that that schedule could change at a moment's notice? You know, we've been very fortunate the last two years, and, it, and we are now on a pause as, you know, we have some COVID concerns within the organization. And I tell her, let's control what we can. Let's use the words family. Let's use the word love. Let's use the word care. Control what we can. And, you know, this too will pass. We'll get back together. And when we do, let's make it the best we can because within six weeks, there's going to be a bracket that says the field of 68, and here they are. And hopefully Providence College is one of those. Five straight NCAA tournament appearances. Also, he has led them to a Big East title. Providence is number 20 in the coaches poll. Another big one coming up on Tuesday at Seton Hall. Ed Cooley, my guest. Ed, I appreciate you. I appreciate the relationship. And I love having you on the show. Thanks so much, Ed. Great talking to you again. Thanks, Jim. I appreciate you, my man. Thank you. Let me take a moment and talk to you about WinBet. The latest and greatest sports betting app on the market, the same five-star hotel service that you know and love, is now in the digital betting space, providing an elite sportsbook and digital casino app. Whether you're betting NFL wildcard weekend, college basketball, or both, because why not? WinBet's got you covered. Are you looking for other sports? WinBet has those as well. It's all right there for your WinBet app. And WinBet is also fully integrated with Win Rewards. That means by playing WinBet, you can accrue points to earn free credit in app and comp dollars towards perks at Win Resorts, discounted hotel stays, priority dining and entertainment, free merch. It really is the best loyalty program in the industry. Call it a win-win. Whether playing from your phone or your computer, you've absolutely got to sign up for WinBet. ASAP. Bet with the best. Get into the game. Terms and conditions at winbet.com. You do have to be 21 or older and present in the state where playthrough WinBet is available. If you or somebody you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. Patriots, Bills, Saturday night in Buffalo. First of all, how many of you members of the Bills Mafia are already tailgating? Are already there? Are already getting revved up, fueled up, lubed up? doing whatever it is you do to get ready for games like that. It's Thursday. Saturday night is the game. How many of you are already prepping? Single-digit temps, sub-zero wind chill. If you didn't already know, this is a big, big deal. First of all, if you didn't already know, the hell is wrong with you? How could you not know? Secondly, if you didn't know how big of a deal this is, the hood himself, no less an authority than the hood himself, let you know yesterday. And how? By doing this. This dude showed up to meet with the media in a completely different manner than he normally does. Normally, sitting through a Bill Belichick presser is worse than sitting through a root canal. It's the most tedious, painful thing ever. 
If you're bored out your ass, that's a big win for this dude. He knows that. He wants that. Because while nobody is better at coaching, nobody is worse at press conferencing. Except for Joe Judge, and he's out of our lives now. Almost. In terms of Belichick, he's got this thing down to a science. Generally, it's nothing more than a bunch of grumbling, muttering, and grunting that nobody can comprehend. And it's by design. You know he's thinking. And Tiger Woods used to do the same thing back in the day. You know, these are a couple of really, I mean, listen, really interesting people, really bright people saying as little as possible to get the rest of us to go away as quickly as possible. You know the hood is thinking, if I never, ever say anything, and I bore the bleep out of all these sheep, maybe they'll stop coming around. Maybe they'll stop asking questions. Maybe I will never have to do this ever again. We're getting ready for Cincinnati. Stupid thing. Really didn't too much to say. No, I made the, uh, no, yeah, I don't know, I'll leave that to the UX. I've had enough of that. In all honesty, uh, that's how it always goes with this guy. Uh, always. In all honesty, hey, hey, radio man, you're a real smart guy, aren't you? Well, that's why you're behind a radio, and I'm I'm here being the goat. Ah, ah, ah. Yeah, I'm not gonna. I mean, that's how it goes with this guy. That's how it always goes with this guy. Except not yesterday. Incredibly, not yesterday. See, yesterday, the hood had a point that he wanted to make. Yesterday, a message that he wanted to send. And the message was loud and clear because he rolled into that media session rocking a Danger Zone sweatshirt. I mean, I could not believe what I was seeing. Literally could not believe what I was seeing. Did not believe what I was seeing. Like, did somebody shop that hood or that graphic in there somehow? Look at the hood man rocking the Danger Zone sweatshirt with the Top Gun graphic. All right, not just something he pulled out of a hamper and hacked off the sleeves on. I mean, this is intentional. Look at that. Are you watching on CBS Sports Network? I mean, tight, clean. Look how clean that is. The Danger Zone hoodie. Who knew that dude had that in him? That said... Damn right he broke that out. You know he broke that out. Because Maverick Belichick knows that his crew is going on the road to Buffalo in front of 74,000 screaming, liquored up, shirtless fans. He knows what that atmosphere is going to be like. What I'm saying is the hoodie knows he's in the danger zone. Of course this dude is channeling his inner Mav. Would it surprise anybody at all if this guy were to break out in a dead sprint, running high the way Mav does in every single movie he's ever made? Has Mav ever not run in a movie? That's right. Would it surprise anybody at all if Maverick Belichick ran to the nearest pier, dropped down three quarters, and launched Goose's dog tags with the most unathletic throwing motion ever known to mankind? After exhibiting the most unathletic running motion ever known to mankind. Belichick is Mav. All swagger, all confidence, cocky as hell, not willing to listen to anybody at all, knowing he's going to get the girl and 
buzz the freaking tower, even if the pattern is full. Hey, Buffalo Mafia, would you get a load of this dude? Would you get a load of this dude? What an insane fit for the GOAT. What an insane attitude. Throwing on Mavs gear midweek before one of the biggest games ever in Buffalo? Hell, I'm shocked this guy didn't start that presser by showing up in a Josh Allen jersey, ripping it off his back, and lighting it on fire. The hell has gotten into Mav? Mav Belichick. Wait, I'll answer. I know exactly what's gotten into this dude. The Bills. They're in this dude's head. Otherwise, he would not be tricking around on his motorcycle, in a leather jacket, acting like Mav. Just because Belichick and the Patriots have lost three of their last four does not mean the hood can't get back in the saddle and can't engage. I'll tell you something else. Just because they've lost three of their last four doesn't mean that his name is on the plaque down in the ladies' room. Everybody knows what's at stake. And nobody more so than Maverick Belichick. The only remaining question was, where did Maverick get that hoodie? And who was going to be the legend to pose that question to him? Real quick, I wanted to ask, uh, where did you get that sweatshirt? So, uh, What's the origin of it? Uh, the player says uh, something that the players did for, um, a couple of years ago. Uh, thanks, Mav. Great story, bro. Uh, awesome story. Apparently, it's something from the Pats special teams unit. Back in 2019. You know, you know what that might have been, honestly? And I don't want to read too deeply into things, but what that might have been was a subtle shout-out to former special teams coordinator and recently unemployed disaster, Joe Judge. Because Judge's time with the Giants was about as successful as Goose's ejection from the cockpit. Remember when Goose tried to eject and his brain splattered all over the inside of the cockpit? It's a warning to Buffalo and to the rest of the league. Bill Belichick wants that spot at Miramar, and he's going to do anything he can to get it. And if things do work out for Belichick and Buffalo, it means that that post-game press conference is going to involve a shirtless, greased-up Belichick and Stevie playing two-on-two volleyball in their jeans, in the sand, with lots of grease. Great scene. Bunch of dudes in jeans in 150-degree weather, greased up, spiking and flexing. Find me a better scene in any movie. Speaking of Joe Judge, man, that dude's ego was writing checks that his coaching simply cannot cash. Son, your ego is writing checks your body can't cash. Hey, you checked the weather? Have you all checked the weather for this weekend? I know Coach Belichick has. Maverick Belichick knows that because of the elements, because of the weather, it's too close for missiles. He's going to have to switch to guns. Too close for missiles, Goose. I'm switching to guns. Mac Jones is switching to guns. I'll tell you something else. You know if they lose this weekend, Bill is going to want some butts. Damn it! Pack twice! I want some butts!
and all the free agents on the Pats will be off that roster next year and flying a cargo plane full of rubber dog bleep right out of Hong Kong. You screw up just this much, you'll be flying a cargo plane full of rubber dog shit out of Hong Kong. Rubber dog bleep. Hey, you remember Buffalo v. New, New England. Whoever wins this weekend, there are no points for second place. There are no points for second place. And the truth is, your plaque will be in the ladies' room. The uh, plaque for the alternates is down in the ladies' room. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Oh, you kill me. You really do. He knows. He knows what's up. There's no way he shows up like that. And Rich Kane tweets, For a heated suit, go to my tailor. Tell them I sent you. Signed, John Wick. P.S. will also be bulletproof. That's the truth, isn't it? I love my guy, David August. Amazing clothier. But if there was not a David August, I would definitely be hitting up Wick for his clothier. At Trader Brent, Jimbo, if I see the hood knocking the volleyball around shirtless with the Iceman and Slider, I am never going to be able to get nice again. Well, he will. If they win, I would expect that in the presser. He and Steven, shirtless, in their jeans, greased up, throwing it down, talking junk, flexing. If they go into Buffalo and they do the Bills, he's got every right to do it, and I'm going to be disappointed if he doesn't, except I don't see it happening. You just know the hood will be like, Steven, you stink. You stink. He'll be like, hey, Sean, you stink. Slider. You stink. I love the Bills in that matchup. No offense, Chow Nation. I love the Bills. But if Belichick does what he does, and what he does is make really good quarterbacks look bad. If he can do that again Saturday night, he's going to be like, hey, Josh, you stink. Slider, you stink. Love that matchup. And now a message from Discover about rewards. If you're a loyal credit card customer, you should be rewarded for your loyalty, preferably with something that is useful, you know, like cashback match. Discover matches all the cash back that you have earned at the end of your first year. Finally, rewards that make sense. Discover. Exceptionally common sense. Learn more at discover.com slash match. Limitations do apply. Lance Stevenson is my guest. Lance, great to have you on. How are you? Hey, Lance. What's going on? How are you? Hey, how are you doing? Good, dude. Good, how are how you? you I feel great. It is great to have you on. I got to ask you, last night's game may not have gone the way you had hoped as a team, but I have to know, what has the return of the Pacers been like for you? Because it's been something for the rest of us to really see. How would you describe the experience for you? What's it been like? Man, it's a blessing, man. Um, I was off for two years, and I had to grind and work out and go to the G League and got back moving and playing at game speed and now I'm doing here in uh, at hometown, doing a 10-day and proving myself and uh, going out there and performing and learning my teammates and having a great time. And all we're missing is wins. And, you know, it takes time and um, getting to learn my teammates every day. 
And I feel like the more we get to learn each other, the games become easier. Lance Stevenson joining us. I want to get into that journey, that grind, the price that you paid to get back. But I want to ask you about this, and I'm going to be real. Like, they pay me not to root. I got to be objective. But I got to admit, man, even I was really fired up by that 20-point quarter that you had against the Nets at home. Can you kind of share the emotion of the night? What was running through you that evening, and especially in that quarter? Well, I was so thrilled and so excited to play that game. And just to be back, just to be back in the, in the NBA and playing uh, at high professional basketball. And, uh, man, you know, you hit that first shot and it goes straight in. You know, every every shot after that, you feel like it's going to go in. And uh, I just had that feeling throughout the game. And, and if it wasn't for my teammates uh, hyping me up and getting open shots and hitting them with uh, screens to, to get me open, man, I wouldn't make those shots. So I'm just excited. I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy to be back. I'm happy to be playing. And uh, I'm just so excited right now. Lance Stevenson joining us. Lance, the bond between you and the Pacer fans is really unique. It's really special. For instance, when you came back as a Laker, the Pacers crowd was chanting, born ready. How would you describe that connection that you have with the Pacer fans? Uh, it's like uh, it's like family. Um, you know, they, they, they see me grow here. Uh, they watch me become the player that I am now, and uh, they just love that that hard, uh, aggressive basketball, that passion, that that willing to do anything to win. And uh, I felt like we connected in that way because you know Indiana is all about grinding, being the underdogs, and and pushing and doing the dirty work to win games. And they just we just fell in love with each other throughout the years. Just that passionate of basketball. We're talking to Lance Stevenson. They do love that grind. They love that attitude. So after your time with the Lakers, you played in China, and then you had a number of options, but you decided to come back to the U.S., and as you mentioned, Lance, you decided to play in the G League. Listen, that is not an easy thing to do. The conditions are tough. The locker rooms are small, and so on and so on. In fact, very few guys in your position with your resume, I think, would be willing to do something like that. Why were you, and what was that like? Um, you know, I mean, I play basketball anywhere. Um, it don't matter where I'm playing at. And I had a mission. My mission was to get back to NBA and um, going to the G League. I know a lot of a lot of guys say, a lot of guys in um, my caliber will say, oh, I already proved myself and I already um, did all this. You guys know my game, but I didn't take it that way. I took it as, man, uh, I've been sitting on the couch. Uh, just working out, and I, I wasn't in that game speed shape, and it, it takes a lot. So I felt like the G League got me back to getting in shape, getting me going up and down, getting me uh, learning the defensive schemes and learning uh, how to not learn it, but playing that professional basketball game. And uh, I feel like I needed to go that route to get to where I'm at right now. We're talking to Lance Stevenson. You know, you went that route, and then you get back in, you get the opportunity. We talked about the 20-point first quarter. There was a 30-point night overall. Then in your next game, you had 16 points and 14 assists. Rick Carlisle has been raving about how unselfish you are and the energy you bring to it, and you're also putting up really big numbers. Like, it seems like kind of a weird thing to say, but in a way, do you feel like you're playing some of the best ball of your entire career right now? Now, I feel like I'm very comfortable, and it's all about communication with the coaches and your teammates and knowing where they're going to be at and knowing knowing your teammates when they're going to shoot. And uh, I felt like 
I learned that within three days of being around these guys. And I, and I feel like these guys just want to win and want to work hard. So when I came in, I talked to coach, and he, he told me what he needed from me. I learned to play as quickly as possible, watch a lot of film. And uh, when you do the stuff like that and get in the gym, I mean, the game become easier. It became the game becomes slower. You, you get to think quicker, and the speed of how you think, you know, getting somebody open or going to the hole or on the defensive end become faster. So I felt like when I got to the paces, uh, the communication skills was on point. Man, Stevenson joining me for a few more moments. I think that one of the reasons, in fact, I know so, you and I just talked about it, but one of the reasons the fans love you so much is because you will do anything to win and you're going to battle for everything on the floor. Back in the day, as an example, you had some amazing, intense battles with the Miami Heat. When you think back to those days, what were those matchups like? How intense did that get? Man, those matches was intense, man. Those were, that was like my best basketball in my career like that moment playing in the playoffs and in the fans and that's probably like the highest level of basketball you get to and I mean it's a great experience we didn't win but we got to game seven two years in a row I mean that's it's just incredible uh, just to be just to have that experience as a young basketball player and I felt like those experiences helped me help these young younger guys coming up to, to learn the game a little bit quicker because I've been in those in that, in that footstep. We're talking to Lance Stevenson. So, Lance, when you – everything's different, but when you talk about those matchups and the intensity and the ferocity, how would that compare, for instance, to when you used to guard Kobe? Because I've heard you say that you got chills when you used to guard him because you knew there was no margin of error at all. What was it like to go up against him, and what kind of expectation Man. did you have then? Just going against him, you know, you know, as a just going against somebody that you you look up to and you've seen as a young kid and try to do their moves and stuff like that, and, and you actually get to the lead and and you're there one on one with them and trying to pressure up on them, trying to stop them, and it, it was just like a great experience. And you know, it was tough guarding him. You know, he's he got counter moves after counter moves and. I mean, it was a great experience, and I, I got to talk talk with him a little bit and pick his brain. And uh, I mean, he's a he's a dog, and you know, you, it's good to learn learn stuff from people that in that caliber. Lance Stevenson joining us. Before you go, Lance, one last topic because I'm always fascinated by this. I mentioned off the top that in terms of your accomplishments. One of them, some of them, your most legendary ones was the fact that you had this incredible high school career, one of the best ever in New York history. I could talk to you for an hour about those days, but let me just ask you this. You grew up on the courts of Coney Island. What did you learn during that time, and how much did that shape who you are as a player? Um, growing up at Coney Island, you know, it's tough. Uh, you know, you, you just can't go on a court and play basketball. There's always kids out there, and you have to be tough enough and – you have to battle to be able to play on that floor. And I always had the, the tough end of the stick, and I always had to play against the older guys. And, and I felt like the older guys got me to the point where I was tough enough to play at any type of level. And uh, just growing up in the in the New York streets, it's like it's always, a, it's always a grind and there's always a battle. And you just can't come on the court. And I felt like I took that attitude and, and brought it to the professional level.
So one last thought, and you've been awesome. You played your high school ball at Abraham Lincoln, following in the footsteps of guys like Stefan Marbury and Sebastian Telfair. You won four straight titles. You broke Telfair's scoring record. When you think back on those days, what was that like? What do you remember the most? Man, those days was fun. You know, um, just grinding and uh, not, not knowing what to expect, but just going hard and, and playing playing basketball and not knowing one day I'll make it. Just every day just hoping that I make it. That's just a, it's just a blessing that I'm here today. And, um, you know, those days are the fun days, you know, just playing basketball, learning it, um, playing against other high school players, traveling. And uh, that's like the beginning stage of being a professional. And um, I felt like I learned that early. It's an incredible journey, an amazing story, and it is not done yet. He was the 40th pick way back in 2010 out of Cincinnati, Lance Stevenson, averaging 14 points and five assists with the Pacers this season. Lance, I appreciate you. That was awesome. I've been looking forward to that. Great to have you on the show, and I appreciate you making time for it, Lance. Thank you so much. All right, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Are you craving some protein after a good workout? Do not make a shake or eat a bar. Instead, grab a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper. Why Old Trapper? Because Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty and tender and made with real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a wood fire. Old Trapper is a family-owned business that takes smoked beef very seriously, and you can taste it in every single bite. Who wants dried tough beef in a bag. Nobody. It's like eating a shoe. Old Trapper is the real deal, and it comes in four amazing flavors. Old Fashioned is sweetened with a touch of brown sugar goodness, teriyaki, peppered, and hot and spicy for those of you who like to take things up a notch. Next time you want a great protein and energy snack that you can have anytime, anywhere, grab some Old Trapper beef jerky. Look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. If you don't see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Oh, Trapper, what's your beef? Why don't we talk about the Giants for a minute? So it's been almost two days since Joe Judge got whacked, finally. And part of me still can't believe it. Finally. Because like 10 minutes ago, this dude seemed untouchable. He seemed unfireable. He seemed indispensable to Giants ownership for whatever reason. But somehow the guy managed to suck so badly at absolutely every part of his job that he went from unfireable to out on his ass in a matter of days. They had all but guaranteed him another year. I mean, again, for reasons unbeknownst to anybody, but there was no speculation that he was on the way out. Yet he just continued to run his mouth and continued to do really asinine and absurd things. And then he literally talked and coached his way out of another year. Because you know they were going to give it to him. They were. Now, we did just watch Herb the Perv lie and lose his way into an NFL grave after only 13 games in Duval. And if it weren't for that, I'd probably be calling Judge's brutal flameout the most pathetic thing I've ever seen in the NFL. But they were both so shockingly bad It's almost like they were both begging for the axe, gunning for the guillotine, because nobody who actually wants to keep their job would do any of the things that these two tools were doing on the weekly, hell, on the daily. How could you possibly want to keep your job and do what the two of them were doing daily? Every single thing 
that either one of them touched immediately turned into a stinking brown nugget. I mean, you tell me, seriously, what's worse? Kicking a kicker and saying, oh, I can do that. I'm the old ball coach. Or a quarterback sneak on third and nine from your own four. Buddy's night out or Dopey's 11-minute diatribe filled with lies and bullcrap. Calling your own staff losers or insisting every single week that your non-competitive football team really is trying really hard. Not knowing which players are in the game or why or trying to grab more power in the GM hiring process after getting curb stomped in six straight games and being the luckiest guy in the world to even have a job? You tell me, which is more unbelievable? I mean, the answer is Herb. Stay to see the grandkids. Pervin Liar is the worst head coach in NFL history. But the fact that it's even debatable tells you all you need to know about Joe Judge's hideous stint Leading Little Blue. Being historically awful is not the only thing that Judge ripped from Perv, though. Because yesterday, Judge himself joined the Sad Pizza Club. And I'm not talking about a slice of Papa John's in a dark stadium tunnel on a golf cart. TMZ published a pic of Judge taking delivery of nine entire pies in his New Jersey home yesterday, along with a bunch of cases of Mick Ultra and silver bullets. Because apparently somebody was going to get down. Somebody was going to get down and throw the biggest, saddest pizza, pizza pity party ever. Hey, listen. I don't think this guy's going to go all Howard Hughes lock himself up for the next several months, cover up all the windows, urinate in jars, let his beard get all weird, and go on a pizza and beer-fueled bender for six months. And I don't know that I'd even blame the guy if he did, given what he wrecked and how bad he looks. But it is pretty likely he was having his now former assistants over, right? That guy was not going to eat all that pizza and drink all that beer himself. And if he was having them over, he owes them big time. And he owes them a hell of a lot more than pizza and light beer. Because if this guy just kept his mouth shut and led that team to even one, even one half-assed competitive effort in the last month and a half, they would all still have their jobs. They committed to him, and he committed to shoving his head up his ass and his foot in his big mouth every single chance he got. So yeah. Pizza and beer is the very least he could do. And while he was taking delivery of supplies for that little pity party, his old boss, John Mara, was out there in front of the media telling the entire world that he has never been so embarrassed for his once great, storied, proud organization. John, I'm curious, is this your lowest moment in your associated speech with the Giants? I mean, is, this, is this as embarrassed as you've been about the franchise? Honestly, I would have to say yes. Yes, it is. I kept thinking during the season that uh, we had hit rock bottom and then each week it got a little worse. So uh, honestly, I'm not proud of saying this, but if I'm going to be 100% honest, I would have to say the answer is yes. Good answer, John. Finally, finally, finally somebody said it. Somebody within owned it, said it. 
This guy said, yes, this is our lowest moment. Joe Judge still catching L's, even after getting capped. You got to love this guy thinking that he reached a bedrock at any point in this horrendous season. And thinking, all right, but that's rock bottom. Now we build from here. Not quite. Not quite. Because right now, New York football is a bottomless pit of misery. Like the Giants have been in a free fall for years. They are literally tied with the Jets for the worst record in that sport over the past half decade. And there really is still no end in sight. Because after Bob McAdoo and Pat Shermer and Joe freaking Judge, it's hard to have any confidence that this crew... The ownership group has any clue on how, how to turn this thing around. And don't even take that from me. Take it from John himself. Why should Giants fans believe you will get it right this time? Well, I haven't given him any reason to believe that, uh, Bruce. It's up to me to make the right choices, up to Steve and I to make the right choices going forward to earn back their trust. And that is not going to be an overnight process. That's going to take, uh, that's going to take some time. Yeah, that is going to take some time. And by time, like maybe forever, because the G-men are a new GM, head coach, QB, and pretty much an entire roster away. And Joe Judge might be gone, but definitely we still have a clown show organization. You know why I say that? There was some ownership from him right there, but they're still pulling amateur bullcrap like stopping NFL Network and WFAN from live streaming that presser. The team didn't even live stream it on their website or social media either. So what's supposed to be the entire point of holding a press conference and talking directly to your fans and to the media and getting your message across if you're not talking directly to people? Instead, they put, they put it on what has to be the first ever tape-delayed presser in modern NFL history. I mean, is that how freaking scarred and how scared everybody involved in the clown show organization is right now that they de-beat it? They tape delayed it? It is so bizarre and so weird and so cringy and so pathetic that even NFL media reporter Mike Garofalo was clowning them for it. Quote, update, the mirror presser will be on tape delay like the miracle on ice years ago. Yeah, just like that. End of quote. Or, or the NBA Finals at 11.30 p.m. back in the day on tape delay. It's like the Olympics. Is that live? Is that live or is that live? I've said it before. I've said it over and over again. But the second Joe Judge dropped his, this ain't no clown show organization. This ain't some clown show organization. It became officially a clown show organization. Because if you have to say something is not a clown show, then it absolutely is. And yesterday was a great reminder to Giants fan that Bozo Joe was only one clown in a much bigger clown act. And that all that face paint, rubber noses, orange wigs, and big floppy shoes go all the way up the chain, all the way to the top, if they're tape-delaying pressers. What's the reason for that? Why would you do that? Were you going to edit out things that didn't go well? Weird. Kathleen in Omaha. Hey, Kathleen, how are you? <laughs> Bruce Arians has the gall to say it would be a travesty if Sack of Muck 
doesn't win the MVP, like he needs to win anything else, he's not the GOAT. He's the LOAT, the luckiest of all time. The real travesty is Aaron is looking at more MVPs than Super Bowls, and, yeah, they're getting players back on defense. I don't trust it. I don't trust them. Until they prove me wrong, I know better not to trust. And I so want to go back to hating football like I used to, but Aaron and Justin, they have this hold over me, making it difficult to hate football like I used to. Racker. Chris in Southeast Wisco. Chris, what's going on? Hey, Jim. How you doing, dude? Good, dude. How about you? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for asking. Say, listen, Jim, I love playoff football, so it's been great to see you tee things up to get us ready for the exciting upcoming weekend of pro football. Yet things went south when Tommy D let that ice road trucker chick from Omaha state what everyone knows is obvious. Green Bay hasn't had a championship-caliber defense in 30 years, Katie. Great take, genius. But thanks for once not making your calls exclusively about how bad you want to get nice with virtually every pro athlete walking the continent. How classy of you. Where do you draw the line, Katie? Even my boy Bobin from the Dallas Mavs is said to be working on a restraining order against you. Lastly, Jim. I was sad to hear that Garrett shredded his calf getting in some quality minutes on the hard court. Maybe as he rehabs his injury, he'll be able to focus his free time on growing his kickball league. I honestly would love for the suits at CBS Sports to pick up his league over broadcasting Italian Class B soccer or pro swimming. Hey, Jim, you already know, brother. But for those that don't, it's a dynasty clones. Chris in Southeast Wisco. That was harsh. Chris Mundy is my guest. Chris, great to have you on the show. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me. It's really good to have you. So I want to pick my spots because there are so many things I do want to talk to you about. Ozark, your other work, Rolling Stone, Nebraska football, and more. But why don't we start with the early years? You're from Omaha, Nebraska. What was life like for you growing up there? Uh, Life was great growing up there. I, I, I... I, you know, you have got space and freedom. You've got, uh, I had really good friends. I had awesome parents. It was pretty, it's, it's idyllic in the way that you sort of um, romanticize that, you know, old fashioned Midwestern upbringing. Um, I kind of had it. I, you know, I loved it. My family, my parents, and my sister are still back there and I go, I go back a fair amount. You know, Chris, I get that. I remember the first time that I went to Omaha, I was back in 1994 and I had never been in the state before. And I was amazed by what I saw. And I understand that. And that's coming from somebody who was born and raised in LA. So if you're growing up in Nebraska, how much of a role did Nebraska football play in your early years? I still measure, I measure years by Nebraska football games. Hmm. I literally measured them. I measured them by losses to Oklahoma in the, in the seventies before we finally beat them in 78. Um, you know, I it, it it it's the marker of like grade school, high school. I used to listen to, you know, because every game wasn't on TV back in the day. So if I if I if it was an away game or if you know my parents had season tickets, but if I wasn't going with them, um, you'd sit and listen to uh, you know our old play-by-play guy was uh, Lyle Bremser. You'd listen to Lyle Bremser calling the game, and me and my friends would play football and listen to the game. You know, but the, the production company that I have now for my work is called man, woman, and child productions. And that's from 
Lyle Brumser, instead of saying ladies and gentlemen, he'd say man, woman, and child. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's, it's deeply embedded in there. I love that. Chris Mundy is joining us. I do love that. So after college, you spent seven years in the office at Rolling Stone and then another four years on contract with them. As an example, you were writing about Nirvana in the early years when Dave Grohl was 22 years old. What do you remember about that? I remember that well because I went on the road with them. I went on the road with them right when Nevermind came out. So, um, over over in Europe so uh and it was weird because for for me it was you know, I'm the same age as those guys and we kind of all had the same musical influences and you know sort of the the punk rock upbringing so uh for me it was like this weird moment where all of a sudden like like all the strange stuff we listened to and cared about one like and we couldn't quite believe it you know and uh so meeting up with those guys and going on the road it was kind of it was it was chaotic because for them, they just sort of like accidentally hit number one in the states, and and you know they were just supposed to be a little punk rock band, you know the um, the whole tour sort of imploded right around the time when I when I went there, and uh, uh, there was a fan who got hit in the face with a big uh, uh, curtain. Chris smashed the guitars together. He got hit in the face and lost his teeth and went into shock and we jumped in a van and drove from Belgium to, to Amsterdam. And like within like four days after that, the whole tour was called off and they went back to the States. So it was, I remember chaos, but I also remember like total wonder at the fact that like what we'd sort of thought all along and what we cared about, like actually was getting a voice. So it was an, it was an amazing moment in a ton of ways. What a great story. Chris Money joining us. Chris, I'm going to ask you about Ozark in one minute, but I'm really curious about when you mentioned your punk rock roots. Like I came up in college radio and I remember, I remember the epiphany, the first time I ever heard what might be my favorite band, The Replacements. I can remember when I was in college, we listened to REM quite a bit. We listened to The Jam. Like who were some of the other punk rock bands that you listened to when you were coming up that really meant a lot to you? It's funny you say The Replacements. That's my favorite band of all time. Right. The Replacements and The Clash are my two favorite bands of all time. But, um, uh, you know, for me, it was, I remember when I first started uh, driving, you know, you, there were cassettes. Uh, a friend of mine in high school who was two years, on, uh, two years older than me, she made one cassette that had the Buzzcocks singles going steady on one side and Dead Kennedys Fresh Group for Riding Vegetables on the other and then another one that had the first Clash album on one side and sound effects by the jam on the other. And that's all I listened to when I got my license, that, you know. And then, and then a little bit, uh, and, and I, actually right around the same time, I was never a big hardcore fan, but I saw at a midnight movie when I was like 15, um, The Decline of Western Civilization about the L.A. punk scene. Right. And it scared the hell out of me in the best possible way. And like those were like huge stamps on 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 everything. And then you know, from there you just gobble it up like all all the British punk, but also like all the American. You know, obviously the Ramones, but you know Richard Tell. You know, the, all all of it. And then and then when it kind of turns the corner into all the other stuff that I that I love, like the replacements and all that, who like you know and kind of took the mantle of it and, and made it a little more like garagey underground like i love I, to this day i love all that stuff it's so great chris money is joining us i really appreciate that response so part one of the final season of ozark is going to be released next friday on netflix what's it been like for you as the showrunner to approach the final season like what kind of emotions do you have on a personal level as you do this it's really wild this this the last season you know because it was 14 episodes so it just took it was it was longer we usually do 10 
because we shot more days, perhaps we shot shorter hours, um, then therefore a lot more days because of COVID to try to, you know, minimize risk. Uh, the, the last season, just it just took forever in a lot of ways. So as you're going through it, everyone's tired and you want it to end, except for the fact that you absolutely don't want it to end, right. you know? So right. um, it, it's been really... Everybody, you know, from me and the writers down to Jason and Laura and Julia and everybody was very, it was very melancholy, you know, toward the end. There's, there's a lot of stuff in the, especially in the back half, not these first seven, but in the final seven where we're writing about the characters and there's, but there's also a lot of like little inside things about the show itself and about all of us as a group that are almost like little inside jokes to ourselves about mourning the loss of the show. Chris Money is joining us. Chris, I wonder, I mean, you could point to a multiple or a variety of different aspects that make that show so unique. I'm curious in your mind, what is it that makes Ozark what it is? You know, I, I think that the best thing about the show is, is it's a lot of different things at once. It's a, it's a, it's a story about a family. It's a story about a marriage. It can be, sweet and sentimental. It can be scary and violent. It can be funny in the way that we think we're funny. Um, and, and so I think because of that, you're always, um, you'll, you'll get lulled into a sense of security uh, that, that gets upended, but you also just feel, hopefully, I mean, you know, if we did our job right, you're, you're emotionally attached to everyone. It's not just like, oh, this is a fun ride. I think you hopefully really care about the people. I mean, if you think we did 44 of them, so that's, you know, that's like 22 movies, you know, so it's a lot of time to spend with, spend with people. And so hopefully it just, it kept getting a deeper connection and, and like with, like with anything, like with your friends, like sometimes you laugh, sometimes you're pissed off. Sometimes you're, you know, you, you know, it's really sentimental and, and hopefully we can be all those things. I was going to say, I, in fact, it's really interesting you bring that up. I was going to say, how do you strike that balance? How can you be all those things? Because over the course of the series, you have to balance the darkness, but the humor with the program, as well as the danger and the crime with the core relationship of the bird's marriage. How have you been able to balance all of that? You know, it's, it's, it's hard. It's like, it's a, um, it's like a geometric, you know, you almost have to like think about it in shapes and like, we always keep them when we're starting a season and breaking breaking it. We always keep all the storylines of the, the the ten episodes up all the time on one board that we can always see it, so you can see the shape of things, you know. And I think then you just have to um, you have to have an instinct about like. I, I, well, let me say this: we always approach it from what's the Marty Wendy marriage story and what's the family story right away. So if we feel like we have that, then people will be emotionally connected. And then from there, it's just an instinct. It's kind of, it's kind of you're looking at the whole being like, you know what? I don't want to feel all that without getting some break, without getting some warmth, without getting some, or, or without something funny. And so you just, um, you know, hopefully we've gotten better every season. I, I, I like to think we have. And because you just get to know yourself and those, that instinct just gets better. Do you know what I mean? You just play at game speed a little bit better. You bet. You bet. So let me finally ask you, as I mentioned, the first part of the final season is released next week. So what was the thinking behind doing the final season in two parts? As a writer, does it feel like it's one season in two parts, or maybe does it feel more like two seasons? Yeah, uh, it's a bit of a trick question, but, but for, uh, you know, 
it feels like one in that like we it needs to stand if, if when you run it all together it needs to hold up as one cohesive thing so in, in that way it felt like it, it, it's one season but um but real but in reality we kind of thought of it in the writer's room as two seasons you know because that's the way people are going to experience it so we wanted we wanted the first seven to feel satisfying and come to a place where we were going to end the season and knowing that like when the, the second half starts, people are going to come to it almost like it's a new season again. So when you glue it back together, it should all feel like one whole more than the other seasons. But, uh, but, 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 you know, in the writer's room, we call them episode 401 to 407 and episode 501 to 507, just so we could, understand the way the audience was going to experience it. And then really quickly, with such talent, like Jason Bateman, Laura Linney, Julia Garner, how would you describe the relationship between a great, great cast like that and the writer's room, the writing of the show? I mean, well, we're just spoiled. I mean, basically, I mean, we're really lucky in that the three people you named are just amazing people to work with and know, you know, and that doesn't always happen. I've, I've definitely experienced you know things when it didn't happen like that so so there's just kind of like a trust and a partnership you know we we in the, as the writers we try to we try to make sure uh we get the scripts out early they have them early you know it's an open phone line every day you know i'm you know we're all around each other you know i sit with you know i would sit with laura before every season and talk through everything that wendy's going to go through so it's just one i once we were kind of up and running and we all knew that we not only liked each other, but also that we trusted each other, then it gets really good because, because you're making it in real time and, and, and you, and you can start to write to people's strengths and you can start to understand that their suggestions are coming not from, you know, some kind of like selfishness. They're coming from like what's best for the show. So that's when it gets really good. You know, you know when you, when, when you actually feel that whole teamness. and I, I know it sounds hokey, but like we completely had it. Good night now.